Awesome to see you guys worshiping this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to Genesis somewhere, anywhere, wherever you want. <laughs> Genesis 12, if you really want to be accurate. But a few, uh, a few months ago, my wife began to have some heart stuff. Yeah. We went to that famous place called the ER. How many of you love the ER? Yeah. Nobody likes the ER, but we all need the ER, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, we're in the ER, and, you know, of course, we're, we're trying to check in, and we're, I'm trying to communicate, you know, we really deserve to be here. I mean, all these other schmucks that are here, I don't know what they're in for, but their needs aren't nearly as important as our needs, right? You ever, you ever, you ever feel like that? So I'm trying to communicate, you know, very comfortably and confidently, you know, we need to be seen now, okay? Now, all right? Here, sir, here's your card. Now go take a seat in the waiting room. No, I don't think you understand what I said. <laughs> I don't think you're getting with the program here, lady. Uh, my wife has a heart issue. You know, I know all these other people, they got sniffles and colds, and I don't know what that young lady is here for, but you know what? They are all second, right? We need to be seen now. Please take a seat, sir. <sighs> so we sit down in the waiting room, and you think, you know, all right, maybe it's just going to be five minutes, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> 10 minutes, you know, I, I can wait that long. That's why we got smartphones, right? <laughs> we'll make this a, you know, a, a break. So we're sitting there and we're sitting there. You know, the worst thing about being in the ER is when someone comes in after you and checks in and they sit down and then two minutes later, they get called up. This is what happened. And man, I glared. As they got up and they got, I'm just glaring at them. How wide you deserve to go in front of me, you know? And we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? My wife, something could happen. I'm getting mad. I don't want to wait anymore. And I'm looking at everybody else. And every time someone gets called, what happened? I get mad, you know? I'm getting madder and madder and madder, and things are going on inside my head I can't even say in church right now, you know? I mean, I am just like, just coming unglued. And of course, at Mercy Southwest, their waiting room is like one long strip, right? You know? And, and so finally, you know, I, I, I realized, you know what? We're sitting way at the other end. What if we move and get closer They'll see us, and they'll call us in. I kid you not. I think everybody else got called in. We were like one of the last ones there. And they finally call us in, and I am furious at this point, but I'm holding it very well because, you know, it's not about me, right? It's about my wife. I, I don't want it to make it about me, but I really want to make it about me. And so, so we're in there, and I just had this experience of, you know what? I don't like being stuck in a waiting room. 
I almost wish like uh, emergency rooms could have fast passes, you know? You just kind of, they tell you, you know, it's going to take three hours, just go and come back at this time and we'll get you right in, you know? I think that would be a great idea for emergency rooms, you know? But, but they just don't listen to me for some reason. And, uh, and I remember thinking to myself, the lady doesn't seem to care. The security officer doesn't seem to care. These other people who are waiting in the rear, they don't seem to care. Nobody seems to care about me. And of course, you say that long enough, you really begin to believe it. And, you know, eventually, of course, we got seen. They did a great job. And looking back, everything was fine. But when you're in the moment, you really get stressed out. And I began to think, you know what? Sometimes in life, God puts us in a waiting room. And we want our need taken care of now. We want our need taken care of as soon as we ask for it to take care of. And we realize there's other people who are waiting on God for things. They're in the waiting room with us. And you know what happens? When their need gets met before ours, what do we do? We glare a little bit, don't we? Oh, you think God loves you, then he more loves me, huh? You know, we start getting a little, you know, God, how come you haven't met my need? I had my need longer than they had theirs. They just got into the waiting room. I've been in the waiting room for three hours. Come on, God, where are you? It's to answer that question. What do we do when God seems to be deafeningly silent? In other words, if God had a mute button, he has muted himself and you are living life and going through life and there is nothing but silence from God. And it's a struggle and it's, 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 it's really tearing you up. You feel like you're in that waiting room, waiting to be called. And after a while, you get to the point where you don't even care if you get called anymore. You're just done. You know, you, the waiting has just almost made you cynical. It's not hard to look back and see the perfect timing. I look back now and that experience came out okay. But while you're in the moment, it can almost seem like God is being cruel with you. Like he's playing with you, like he's doing all these little tests and you get sick of the tests, you know? You just want your need met. Well, here's the thing. I've learned that God doesn't make me wait because he doesn't care. God doesn't make us wait because he doesn't care, but because that is where we need to be. Sometimes it is actually the plan and purpose of God to have us be in the waiting room, shedding our earthly skin of impatience as we learn to trust and rely on God's timing even more than our own. Now, I came up with a little poem. I didn't come up with the first three lines I found on the internet, but I put the last line in. And the poem goes like this. Patience is a virtue, right? How many of you have heard that? Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman, all men say. Amen. <laughs> They're cautiously saying amen, you know. Of course, then we've got the last line here. And never in a man. Ladies say amen. Amen. <laughs> You know, it's, it's why is God sometimes silent? There's really two answers. The first answer is he's purposely being silent. There's growth in it. The other side to that is we all need to prepare for the fact that we live in a world that is broken 
and fallen and has no guarantees. You know, we think, hey, I'm going to jump off this bridge and nothing's going to happen to me. No, you may break your leg and never walk again. That's earth. You know, uh, we think, hey, I'm going to mortgage my house, put all this in this business. And if the business fails, we think, oh, the, God is so mean. He's so cruel. No, no, no. That's the risk you take on earth. Uh, one of the greatest friends to have are police officers. You know what police officers will tell you? Stuff happens to good people, bad people, mostly stupid people. But every now and then, every now and then, some poor old schmo just trying to live his life has tragedy come upon him. You know, uh, uh, Cops will say, we, we've got a, a bird's eye view to the fact that earth is not perfect. And this world is broken and fallen. And why do I say this? Because we have to somewhat prepare for that. You know, it's not really, I mean, I know we joke about it, but we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised next week. Every time your, your loved ones in your house leave the house, kiss them goodbye and say you love them. Amen. Could be the last time you ever see them again. And I don't say that tongue in cheek. I say that to say that God is not like, you know, have scripts for all of us and he's assigned some of us that, you know, it's earth. Earth is random. It's fallen. It's broken. And the world to come, all of that is, is gone. All of that's wiped out. But the world we live on now is fragile. And anything could happen. And we're actually called to live prepared. Live prepared. for. So sometimes we confuse God's silence with the fact that, you know, there's just the horrors of a broken world that we live on. Other times, the silence is purposeful. God actually remains silent so that we can shed our worldly skin of impatience and dawn on the breastplate of trust. Amen? Does that make it any easier knowing that? No, but it shouldn't. But the fact of the matter is, is there are some things hopefully that will help you today when it comes to dealing with the silence. And my first point is this. Everybody, everybody experiences the silence, what I'm calling the silence. There's the silence, the silence of God, where you feel like I'm just living and I'm just living and I don't know where God is. It's like he's on the other side of the universe right now and he's forgotten about little old me. He's on mute. Well, the fact is, everybody, everybody in the Bible, Jesus himself, when he was hanging on the cross, what did he quote? Psalm 22, one and two, right? And what does that say? My God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus is like, God, I am hanging here. I am dying, and this silence is just so difficult. Why have you forsaken me? You know? So nobody, was, nobody has been spared what I'm calling the silence. Even God's friends are not spared from the silence. Abraham. Abraham was, if you look at James chapter 2, verse 23, it says, and the scripture was fulfilled, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credit to him as righteousness, but it's the last part I really want to focus on, and he was called what? God's friend. Some of you are thinking, man, I'd love to have been Abraham. He was a friend of God, you know? Let me tell you something right now. Abraham truly earned that friendship. If you're in Genesis chapter 12, particularly look at verse 7. Verse 7. Verse 1, 2, and 3 they're the amazing call of Abraham, right? He's a pagan moon worshiper in Iraq. God appears to him, not in a dream, not in a trance. Not, I mean, somehow God shows up 
in whatever form the Bible doesn't say, speaks to Abraham. And Abraham believed it was God and did exactly what God said. And God said, I want you to get out of here and I want you to go to Canaan, which is modern day Israel. That's where your family is going to be. But he says something interesting in verse seven. This is so key because Abraham and his wife are well, well, well past the years of being able to have children. And God says something that Abraham probably would have shook his head and said, oh, wait, God must have forgot. We can't have kids. He says in verse 7, to your offspring, I will give this land. Well, Abraham believed him. How do we know he believed him? Because it says he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. You build an altar, and by building that altar that says, yes, I believe. To my offspring, I will have this land. All right? And so you, you get, you know, I mean, that's great news. Abraham and Sarah, who were barren, are going to have a child. And here's what happens. Abraham enters the silence for 10 long years. God would not speak of it again. In the meantime, God may be silent, but he's not inactive in Abraham's life. A famine comes to Canaan, so Abraham says there's food down in Egypt. So he packs up about 300 of his tribe, which all they had, and they go down to Egypt, but there's one problem. Egyptian kings, when they find good-looking women, they take them, all right? Hey, this is the jungle back then, you know? They take them, and they, you know, they, they have a sense of honor to them. They don't want to just take the wife. They kill the husband. Well, then all of a sudden, what, the 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 wife's a widow, right? <laughs> then they take the wife. So, you know, a messed up way of looking at it, but that's what they do. And Abraham knows this, so he says to his wife, when we go down there, I tell them you're my sister. They'll just take you, but I'll be able to live. I know. That is, is, I know. Ladies, I know. I know. I know. Anyway, so Abraham goes down there, and that's what they do. There's only one problem. What did God say in Genesis 12, 7? To your offspring, so now all of a sudden, Sarah could be in bed with another man. Who knows? Maybe she gets pregnant by the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. But that's not God's plan. So what does God do? He bears down on the house of Pharaoh, makes things miserable. They start getting visions. And finally, it becomes apparent this is the man's wife, not just his sister. Pharaoh comes to Abraham and says, what are you doing? You've brought all this on our house. And Abraham says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he takes back Sarah, and the guy says, you need to get out of here. I'll give you enough food. I'll pay you anything. Just get away. Why was that so important? Because the promise is Abraham and Sarah, not just Abraham. It's going to be those two that have the child. And that's very key. It wouldn't work with Hagar. It wouldn't work with Pharaoh. It, Pharaoh was going to be the, the father. No. Nope. Hagar was going to be the mother. No. Nope. It was going to be Abraham and Sarah. However unlikely this was, God was making them wait. Well, they go back, and all of a sudden, Abraham's nephew is, is captured by some of these rogue Canaanite kings. And they have about a 2,000-man army. Abraham's got 300. But... It's family, right? You got to go rescue family, right? So he takes his men, and against all odds, 
I mean, Abraham's like, this is it. I'm going to die in battle. Sarah's going to go to another man. But, but wait a minute. What did God say? You will. <laughs> the two of you are going to have a son. It's going to happen one day. Go into any battle you want. You will win and you will not die because I am with you. What happens? Abraham routes the three kings, saves Lot, and goes from being kind of a middle-class tribal chieftain to loaded. This guy's got money now. He's loaded. And while he's coming back, this odd figure comes down the mountain, and his name is Melchizedek. He comes from what would become Jerusalem. And Abraham meets him and recognizes that the word of the Lord is in this guy. So God's maybe silent to Abraham, but he's kind of speaking now through this priest. And it says Abraham worships, gives him a tenth of the money, worships, and goes on about his day. And so even in the midst of the silence, God is not inactive. Number two, or I'm sorry, point number two, just because our society moves quicker doesn't mean that God does. When you go to Genesis chapter 15, all of a sudden, it's been 10 years since God told Abraham he would have a son. And God reminds Abraham that he told him. He comes in a vision and says, to your offspring, I'm going to give all this land. But this time, Abraham says, God, you didn't do it. Oh, you said you'd do it, but you didn't do it. It's been 10 years. When I was 75... You know, when we were in our 70s, hey, maybe anything's possible. But God, we are in our 80s now. That ship has sailed. And you know what God says to Abraham? Abraham, I, I don't think you know who you're talking to. In fact, I'm going to forgive everything you just said because you really don't know who you're talking to. I am El Shaddai which means God Almighty. <laughs> My Hebrew scholar over here. God Almighty. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he goes out and he shows them all these stars. He says, Abraham, if you trust in me and you wait, you got to shed all of your impatience. But if you trust me and wait, see all these stars? you will have more sons and daughters than you can count in the stars tonight. You ever have that happen where you're seemingly doing something random on earth and all of a sudden you hear, you hear something in your head and you know it's not you? I remember uh, when we were giving birth to our third son. And Tony, I don't think I've ever told you this. I was just thinking of this as I wrote the message. We, 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 uh, we, we had three kids very quickly. So our uh, OBGYN knew us by first name. I mean, we could have, like, you know, adopted each other. That's how much we had visited him because we had three kids in three years. Not planned that well, I guess. How can you really say not planned that way? But, you know, it uh, just happened that way. And by the third one, uh, you know, probably the reason you don't remember this is because you were in delivery and you probably don't remember it. But by the third one, they had me put on the gown and put gloves on, and I was, I was going to be right there. And he looks at me and says, you, you want to you wanna have the honors? Now, here's the thing. He said that before, but that was to cut the, uh, 
umbilical cord. Thank you. But this time, maybe it wasn't out yet. So I'm like, the honors. Uh, I said, yeah, give me the scissors. No, 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 you want the honors. And he allowed me and, and guided me in helping to give birth to my son, my third son. And, and I'm not kidding you. When, I, when, I, when that happened, I cried. So I'm not a crier at all. I cried so much. I mean, I just love bonding all of these things. And at that moment, I felt a voice come in my head just out of nowhere and said this, now you know how I feel about you. And I just cried even more. God showed Abraham stars. He showed me just... You'll get that. You'll just be going on in the days. Somebody, somebody told me they, had, they were complaining about something and they, they, you know, thinking they just didn't have anything and they walked into their house and God said, see how I have provided for your needs. A house, two cars, all this stuff, you know. And she, she told me, she said, it just came out of nowhere. Is that the voice of God? Yes, it's the voice of God, you know. One time... Um, Oh, we'll keep going. I could tell stories about that all day. But the fact is, you know, <laughs> Abraham gets a vision. And in that moment, he realizes just because our society moves at some pace doesn't mean God necessarily does. You know, we have this mindset, you know, okay, by 20, I have to have this. By 30, I have to have this. By 40, I have to have this. By 50, I have that. By 60, I should be able to retire. By 70, you know, we have all of these timetables. And I'm trying to tell you, God doesn't really care about those timetables. I've seen people get rich at 72. That was just their year where everything came together. Poor, all up until then, all of a sudden, at 72, bam. There's a huge financial windfall that comes their way. I don't, I don't know the rhyme or reason, by it, but I do know this. Every time I think, okay, I'm, I'm at 43, I'm at this point in my life, and all these things should happen, I hear God saying, you know what? That may be your timetable, but that doesn't, please don't lock me into that timetable, because I'm not on your timetable. It takes as long as it takes sometimes to shed that earthly skin. My third point is this. God's silence is wiser than our impatience. God's silence is wiser than our impatience. Sometimes in life when we feel we're stuck going nowhere fast, trust in that God being silent is a wiser path to take than being impatient and trying to do it yourself. That's exactly what happened with Abraham and Hagar. Abraham was getting old. Sarah was getting old. They needed to have this son. Well, instead of waiting for God to do the miracle, Abraham takes one of his female servants and impregnates her. It's going to cause stress for Abraham and his family. It is still causing stress for Abraham and his family. That one, that one decision he made. Because the shedding of the earthly impatience still had not happened. And so God gives Abraham another 13 years. You may say, why is this important? Because right after God reminds Abraham 10 years later that this is going to happen, a year later, Abraham conceives with Hagar. 
13, Abraham has a 13-year-old son now. He's got a 13-year-old son now. He thinks it's all going to be Ishmael. This is, this is the fulfillment of God's promise. What he doesn't realize is he saved Sarah out of the bedroom of Pharaoh for a very good reason. Because, you see, men, as much as we like to think it's all about us, it was not about Abraham. It was about Sarah. Thirteen years go by, and God shows up in Genesis chapter 17. And once again, he says, Abraham, by this time next year, you will have your son. And you know what Abraham did? He laughed. <laughs> you ever get to the point where you've waited for something so long that that ship has sailed. Now you're done waiting for it. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And you have just accepted it's never going to happen. So God shows up this third time, says you're going to have a son. And Abraham goes, <laughs> he gets to that, that silent laugh. <laughs> you know, I mean, he is just bellied over. Are you kidding me? I am 99 years old. <laughs> You've got a weird sick sense of humor, God, you know. I mean, he's at the point of laughter. Now, God never gets mad at him for laughing. I, God understands we're just weird people. But he does say, you know what? Because you laughed, I want you to name your son Isaac. You know what Isaac means? means laughter. So every time you say, Isaac, come here, the joke will be on you, buddy. <laughs> the joke's going to be on you, Abe. And he changes his name then. Sarah has not had the son yet, but he changes his name then from Abram to Abraham, which Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many. <clears throat> and so finally, a year later, God does the miracle and gives the baby. Now, why? Why was Abraham in God's waiting room? Well, for one, it takes a little while to go from pagan worshiper to follower of God. You know, a lot of stuff you got to shed in that process. But what do you think the second reason might be? Every time the tribe looked at Isaac, they'd say, you know, that kid was born to a 90-year-old woman. 90-year-old women don't have kids. There must be something about his birth that's special. There must be something about that kid that's special. You know, I know God waiting 24 years was probably not what Abraham and Sarah wanted, but in the end when they looked back and they saw Isaac running and playing and they're realizing, you know what? He shouldn't be here. By the laws of nature, this kid should never have happened. And all of a sudden he's there you look and you see the wisdom of God. Isaac had to be special because through Isaac would come Jacob. Through Jacob would come Judah. Through Judah would come David. Through David would come Jesus. It all fit the plan. But God's best friend Abraham had to wait in the waiting room. So point four, the small silences prepare you for the bigger ones. The small silences are to prepare you for the bigger ones. Small silence, silence skill number one is this, read the Psalms. 
if you're in a period of God's silence right now, I understand going through an exegetical study of the book of Revelation is probably not where you're at. I get that. In fact, if you're going through anything in your life, depression, confusion, wandering, pain, anger, all that stuff, my advice to you as your pastor, read the Psalms. 66% of the people who wrote the songs were mad, sad, angry, frustrated, and confused. You will find a lot of comfort from them. In fact, when they were making the Bible, they said, we got to include this because these people are like us, you know? Read the Psalms, and I'm going to give you three. Some of you are like, I don't know which Psalm to read. There's 150 of them. Fair question. That's why you have a pastor. First Psalm I would guide you to is Psalm 44. Psalm 44 will, t- you got to write this down because it's not up here. Psalm 44 will tell you how to endure the silence. It'll be a silence guide, so to speak. Psalm 62 is important because that is the Psalm that makes God the never break his promise God. You can say, I worship the never break his promise God. You find that in Psalm 62. And then finally in Psalm 37, each one of, Psalm 37 is the whiner's song. It's the most whiniest baby wrote that song. <laughs> Seriously. But every, with every whine and complaint, he follows it up with a promise. So for those of you who are like into the promises of God, you don't need to go buy the book. Just read Psalm 37. You'll find it is pregnant with promises. Small silence skill number two. Set up stones of remembrance. Why was God active during, in Abraham's life during the silence? Because he wanted Abraham to never forget. Hey, Abraham, remember Pharaoh? I saved your wife from his bedroom. Hey, Abraham, remember those three kings of Canaan? I saved your keister. When you had 300 men, they had 2,000. You should have died on that battlefield. You'd know I delivered you. Abraham, remember Melchizedek? Abraham, remember this? Abraham, remember? Remember those stones of remembrance. As we remember what God has done in the past, it'll help us endure the silence of the future. I have a journal, and sometimes I got to reread that journal especially if there's kind of a lull period here at LifePoint. Nothing's really happening, nothing's going on. I'm like, God, come on, where are you? I'll start reading about what God did. And I get encouraged because I know God will do again. Amen? And then finally, small silence skill number three, stubbornly refuse to give up on God. Faith belongs more to the stubborn than the patient. Think about that. Faith belongs more to the stubborn. And I wouldn't describe myself as a patient man. But ask my wife, I can be quite stubborn. There is a woman who was trying to get pregnant. And when you're trying to get pregnant, it's amazing how many people will offer advice. You know, uh, have you? And it's gross. You're almost like, ew. We're in church. Please don't talk about that. You know, when we were trying to get pregnant, we'd have people come up, have you tried this method? <laughs> yes, please go away now. You know, <laughs> As far as I remember, there's only one method to conceive, but hey, that's okay. Other people would be, have you tried this blanket? What's with the blanket, ladies? I don't understand the whole blanket thing. You know, Is there some special anointing on a blanket that's going to give you kids? I don't know. Uh, have you tried this herb? Hmm. 
no, I don't do herbs, sorry. You know, but the worst is when they'll come and say, have you prayed enough? Wow, I never thought to pray about it. Thank you for enlightening me. I'm going to go home and do that right now, you know? As if when you want something bad, you are praying about it all the time, right? And so you can get left with this sense of silence. And Tanya and I, we had a miscarriage for our first child. And you have that time where you think maybe you can't have children. And so I had gone in my heart down the road of adoption. And I remember I was talking to somebody, and the cool thing about adoption is you can really save a life. And I remember thinking, you know what? I want to save a life. I really got into it. I'm thinking to myself, that would be cool, you know? You get to pick, you know? You get, you get, you get a lot of control when you're under adoption. I love control. So, you know, you get to pick. You got all this stuff. And I had really surrendered myself to adoption. And we were waiting and waiting and waiting, and finally, boom, Tanya's pregnant. And it probably wasn't until the sixth or seventh month that her and I both felt like we're going to have a child because she'd, she'd had a miscarriage before. And then it was, all of a sudden, it was like, okay, I surrender myself to that plan, even though we'd kind of gone a little bit down the adoption road. I surrender myself to that plan. Looking back, the wait was worth it. I can't imagine my life without my firstborn son now. I can't imagine this world without him. He's got an incredible call on his life. He's going to become one of my best friends, I can already tell. I thank God for the wait, even though while I was waiting, it seemed like agony. Looking back, I see the perfect timing of God. Amen? Before we close today, I'd like to just take a moment. What are some things you may be waiting for where you feel like the silence of God has been what you've known? And by the way, some of you, you may have been in this silence for 10 years. God's best friend was (laughs) maybe 20 years. Abraham had that too. 24 years, who knows? Could even be longer where you feel like you've been in the silence. And I want to encourage you this morning to not give up on God, to not give up on your faith, for the victory comes more to the stubborn than anything else. To stubbornly refuse to give up on God because He stubbornly refuses to give up on you. And to say, In fact, go ahead and say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I will wait. It's hard, but I will wait. In Jesus' name, amen.